public health and medical decision makers require data to choose among various possible courses of action, although they generally prefer to make decisions using findings from randomized controlled trials, researchers can't conduct trials to answer all questions, and in any case, trials may take years to complete. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Miguel Hernan, a professor of biostatistics and epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. As part of the journal's series on the fundamentals of public health, Dr. Hernan has co-authored a perspective article about causal inference and observational data. Dr. Hernan, could you explain briefly why and how causal inference is used to answer questions in public health? Sure. You kind of said it already. Causal inference is what we use when we need to make decisions and we need to know what works and what harms. So causal inference is the process by which we decide that this treatment is better than this treatment or that this public health intervention is better than this other public health intervention. And that is how we make decisions. Well, not the researchers. We don't make the decisions. We provide the information for the decision makers, the public health officers, the physicians, the patients, the public to make decisions. And we make causal inferences conducting studies, research studies. So in your perspective article, you write that for each question about causality, researchers can design a target trial. Could you explain what that process looks like? When we think about causal inference in science in general, we think of randomized experiments. And when we think about causal inference in public health or in clinical medicine, we think about randomized trials, which are randomized experiments in humans. A randomized trial is one way of operationalizing causal inference questions. If we have a causal inference question, we want to know whether A works better than B for some outcome. The natural thing that any scientist would do is to try to conduct a randomized experiment, a randomized trial of A versus B. So with that in mind, when we're asking causal inference questions about things for which we cannot, for whatever reason, because it's too expensive or too long or it's not ethical, we cannot conduct a randomized trial, the question can still be framed as a randomized trial. And that is the target trial. The target trial is the randomized trial that would answer our causal question if we could conduct that trial. It's really the target of our causal inference. So the fact that we are not going to carry out that target trial doesn't imply that our causal question cannot be articulated in terms of that target trial. So when we are using observational data, non-experimental data, and we're asking causal questions, we are still trying to emulate that target trial. That is what the concept of a target trial is. It's a concept that has been in causal inference for a century or so, and that means that we need to think of what is the hypothetical randomized experiment that we are after. So in fact, in your article, you describe how causal inference from observational data was used to inform HIV treatment guidelines in the United States. It's sort of a cross between a public health issue and clinical practice recommendations. Can you give us some examples of causal inference being used specifically for public health decisions? Of course. One example that is very relevant now is COVID-19 vaccination. And that is an example in which we had randomized trials, the phase three trials that pharmaceutical companies conducted. And those trials told us that the vaccines worked. But the trials could not look at some of the most severe outcomes because they didn't have enough people. They couldn't give us a very accurate 
picture of what the safety of the vaccines were. And that's where the observational studies come into the picture. We have observational studies now for the last half year or so that have been emulating target trials of vaccination. And with those trials, with those observational studies that are emulating the target trials, we can answer questions that the randomized trials themselves can't. Now we have much better information about the safety of the vaccines, about the different age groups that may be more susceptible to certain events. We have the much more precise information about the effectiveness of the vaccine for different outcomes, not only for documented infection, but for hospitalization, for ICU admission, for death. These are all things that we cannot possibly do with randomized trials. So what we see here is an interplay between the randomized trials and the observational studies that are working in a coordinated way to give us the causal inferences that we need for better public health policy. How and in what circumstances can observational data be adjusted for possible confounding, which of course is a worry when you don't have a randomized trial? Of course, that is a very important concern. There are some times in which there is, there is not much confounding, and therefore we can use the observational data. There are cases in which there is confounding, but we have a very good idea of what the confounders are. We know that it tends to be given to people with certain risk factors, and we have information on those risk factors we can adjust for that. Think of a case of hormone therapy in postmenopausal women. That's an example in which once we emulate a target trial and adjust for the compounders, the observational studies gave, gave answers that, that were very compatible with those from the trial. And then in cases where we are not sure whether we can adjust for confounding, there are still some things that we can do. And one of them is to use whatever information we have from randomized trials. I just gave you the example of COVID vaccines. So think of how that worked. We had the randomized trials that couldn't answer all the questions. We want to carry out the observational analysis that emulate a target trial to answer those questions. But we don't know if people who are vaccinated and people who are not vaccinated are the same type of people. Maybe we are comparing people that are not comparable in terms of their risk of COVID-19 and we have confounded. So what we can do is to use the information from the trials. And what do the trials tell us? Well, the trials tell us that in the first week to 12 days after vaccination, there is no effect of the vaccine on the, on the risk of COVID-19. The vaccinated and the unvaccinated in the trials have the same risk in the first 10 days. Then we can use that to calibrate our observational studies. And if we find in our observational analysis that there is no difference in risk in the first 10 days, we know that the people that are being compared are comparable or that we have succeeded in adjusting for confounding. On the other hand, if we see that people who have been vaccinated have a lower risk of COVID-19, in the first 10 days after vaccination in the observational data, we know that they are not comparable and that they are confounding. So this type of negative controls are sometimes usable to allay concerns about confounding in observational studies, which are the most important concerns, of course. Finally, why is it important for physicians to understand the types of evidence that inform public health decisions? And what can physicians do to support evidence generation? It is very important that physicians understand how the evidence was generated because physicians are going to make many of the decisions. And therefore, they need to understand what is strong evidence, what is weak evidence, 
and they need to be able to read the literature critically. One of the problems that we find often is that the message that reaches physicians is that if it is a randomized trial, you can trust it. If it is an observational study, you cannot trust it. And that's too simplistic. There are cases of randomized trials that you cannot really trust because they are so small and imprecise that they don't really help. I mean, think of the early randomized trials on treatments for COVID-19, like the trials on tocilizumab. Those trials were completely uninformative because they were so small that the conference interval so so wide that they couldn't help. At the same time, there, there were several observational studies, much larger, that had already found a clear indication of benefit of tocilizumab. And that evidence was not taken seriously because it was coming from observational studies. Of course, after the large trials of tocilizumab were published, it became clear that the observational studies had been right all along. So doctors need to understand that. They need to be able to read the literature, think in terms of confounding, see which studies are likely to be biased and those that are not likely to be biased. And just by doing that, they will be doing a lot to improve decision-making in medicine. Thank you, Dr. Anand.